and welcome to another episode of the Silicon Caribbean podcast, where we look at the digital trends that are influencing the future of Caribbean business. As usual, I'm talking to Caribbean people who I find online and out there in the wild for using technology to do some very interesting things of course, launching all different kinds of digital businesses. So, of course, you'll get to know who they are and what they do. And I'll take you to that part of the Caribbean that's beyond the beach and going digital as usual. I'm your host, Ingrid Riley. In this episode, I'm really excited, yeah? Yes, we're under the cover of COVID and we're looking to music and entertainment as a way to cope. But, of course... A lot of lot of different things are happening because COVID is giving us these effects, is giving us these pivots, is giving us these possibilities, and of course, lots of predictions from all over the place. So today we're talking about the state of Caribbean music and entertainment industries thanks to COVID-19 pandemic, the effects, the pivots, the possibilities, and the predictions. I'm very, very happy to have with me um, my guest is DJ Brookie, a.k.a. Eval Greaves, who is both a techie and an event DJ. He's a Jamaican living in New York, in Gotham, my second favorite city and my second home. Um, and, you know, and he, but of course, he comes home to Jamaica regularly to do what? To party. Welcome to Silicon Career Podcast, DJ Brookie. <laughs> oh, what an intro. Uh, thanks for having me, Ingrid. You know, Yes, it's all true. I do go home to party, but uh, more recently, I'm, I'm starting to make connections between the partying and other aspects of life in Jamaica and trying to package that to friends overseas who, uh, for the people who pay attention to my DJ Brookie Instagram, they'll notice that I post a lot about that stuff. And I'm also starting to attract friends who are now becoming recurring vis- visitors themselves. So it's oh it's my. been fun going back on an annual or or a more frequent basis of late. That's fantastic. But first of all, um, Brookie, now when we met a couple of years ago through mutual friends, you're introduced as um, DJ Brookie. You remember that I had to actually ask you what's your real name, right? <laughs> right how the right. hell? Please tell us how the hell did you get the name DJ Brookie? Where did it come from? All right. So back in high school, I. Anybody who knows me know that, yes, I was good at academia, but I was also big into football. Like, I played on a 12 for my parish. I played for Clarendon. I captained my high school team. I went to Glenmere High School. Uh, played all through on the 14, on the 16. Stopped right before D Cup uh, for reasons I won't get into right now. But when I was playing under 16, I was 15 at the time. And had a collision with a player from the other team. And basically, I had my hand protecting my face. Lord knows what would happen to my face if I didn't use my hand. But I essentially broke some bones in my wrist and had on a cast for several weeks. And of course, when you're a Jamaican, your friends give you very practical nicknames. Oh, my God, yes. (laughs) And one of the two (laughs) nicknames stuck. So it was either one meaning that I had one functioning hand, or Brookie, meaning that I had a broken hand. And Brookie is the name that stuck. I couldn't shake it, couldn't get rid of it, so I just embraced it. And um, now, you know, some people know me as Brookie or DJ Brookie or Chef Brookie or whatever, because I also like to cook. But yeah, that's where the name came from. Yeah, that is that is so so Jamaican. Oh my God! But let me tell you, 
Well, listen, so that's a, that's a, that's a DJ. So how long have you been DJing, doing event um, DJing now? That's a great question. I, I'd say that the very first event I did, and a friend of mine from high school was reminding me of this, I DJed a birthday party for myself and others when I was in high school. I was 16 at the time. Nothing Ooh. official, not using real equipment, just like a computer and some songs. But I'd been collecting music from back then. This is like 1998, 99. Wow. Okay. Um, and that was the first kind of event I did. And then when I moved to the States, I was living in Tampa. And a friend of mine, his wife asked me to pick out some turntables for him. So we went to the store, got the turntables. And that was when I got my first DJ lesson. This was like 2000, 2001. Uh, wow. So I was fascinated with the craft from back then. And for those of you who remember that, like Black China was the biggest thing. Right. Oh, yeah. They had these fascinating mix CDs uh, with dope remixes and stuff like that. And so that drew me closer and closer to the DJ culture. Um, and then at the time, you know, being away from Jamaica, it was really difficult to keep up with what was going on back home. It's not as easy as it is today where there are a million blogs where you could hear the music or you could listen to radio stations online. I remember talking to Judith Bodley from RJR. Oh my or was goodness, it Fame yeah. FM? On, yeah, just Fame um, FM, yes. Right, Fame, yes, yes. Yeah. And I used to talk to Judith Bodley on MSN Messenger, I believe. Oh my, you're dating you know? yourself now, bro. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I sought any opportunity I could get to connect and stay connected with folks back home so that by the time I went home, in December for Christmas to do what? To party. I knew the songs already and I wasn't left behind and I wasn't that kid that didn't know the new lingo, didn't know the new songs, didn't know the new songs that were hot, didn't know the new dances that were hot. So I tried to stay as connected as, as I could. Fast forward to when I got to the University of Florida. Um, by then I was starting to practice with, you know, the Serato and the, the, the tractor and figured out how to, you know, match beats and blend and stuff like that. And I, I remember I recorded my first mix in 2005, I want to say. And, you know, at the time, my friend was a president of the Caribbean Students Association. Now, I'd been, I'd been practicing mixing and I was actually live streaming from my computer using a Shoutcast server on Winamp. Mm-hmm. dating myself again yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I never used to record so like nowadays when I see DJs going live I'm like yo I was doing that like 18 years ago you know what I mean so recorded that first mix in 2005 and then this friend of mine who was the president of the Caribbean Students Association was like yo we're having this party do you want to DJ it I'm like yeah sure how much are you paying me I think I got like $300 to do it at the time now that was good money. And frankly, um, money for gigs kind of took a downturn with DJs undercutting each other. But I'll, I'll leave that as a topic for another day. But right. The point I'm making is that by knowing someone, I was able to get a gig and started to build my popularity on campus. So mm. that was the first event I did. Fast forward three years, I did an event for a friend of mine. And by this time, I'd started to develop a following around my mixtapes because I Inspired by Black China, I started making mixtapes with a fusion of dancehall 
and hip hop and my own refixes, as we call them. Uh, and so that's how I built my credibility and my following. And that's what led to me actually starting to DJ in clubs and having a residency where I had the, the hottest party in Gainesville on a Friday night for a whole year. Wow. Okay. Okay. And I said that because I've been, I've been following you. I said that you also do been doing some stuff in, in Gotham in New York. Absolutely. So when I moved from Florida to New York in 2015, I basically put DJing on the back burner and started focusing on my career. So for those of you who don't know, or you might just know me as Brookie, um, I've actually been in tech, you know, ever since I left college. My degree was in computer software engineering. I got a job doing web development, parlayed that into a bigger opportunity when I moved to New York, where I started out as a software engineer for a video tech company called JW Player. And we basically power the independent web of digital publishers and broadcasters with uh, video technology so they could grow their audience and monetize their content with ads, that kind of stuff. So when I moved here, one of the things that quickly became apparent to me is that, yo, there is a much larger audience of people who appreciates music the way I like to curate music. So when I was in Florida, I remember when I just started DJing clubs and I tried to play dancehall and people would look at me crazy like, yo, what is that? As if there wasn't a Sean Paul in 2002 or an Elephant yep. Man or, or all this crossover dancehall. It's like people forgot. You know what I mean? Fast forward mm -hmm. six years and it was very difficult to play 10, 15 minutes of dancehall, like six songs consecutively at a night out unless it was like a dancehall party. But I wasn't trying to brand myself as a dancehall DJ. I wanted to be that DJ that could, that had the dexterity and could play for an urban audience and introduce our music to that audience. That was mm. my mission. It was never to just cater to my people. I, feel, I felt like there were enough DJs out there that could do that. So right. it was extremely difficult. I was always, you know, fighting that battle. I worked my way up from playing two, three songs a week to like a solid 30 minute set where, you know, nobody was leaving the club or walking to the bar to get a drink because they were bored. Um, yeah. But I basically took a, a, a step back from DJing for a while, like I said, focused on my career. But when I came to New York, I saw it as a, an opportunity, a rebirth, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming here and seeing how popular dancehall culture is, seeing how accepted soca is, seeing how big Afrobeat was and how yep. palatable Afrobeat is as a genre. Uh, and then starting to attend some of the parties in the summer, you know, there's like the, the um, all those Afrobeat parties with MoMA and those DJs, like really dope events, everyday people. You know, seeing those parties really inspired me to get back into DJing. And then a friend of mine, who is the one who actually got me into clubs in Florida, his name is Dexter Williams goes by D-Link on, on Instagram. Um, you know, he had this party in Florida every May that he called Mayday, and he expanded it from being just one party in one city to having it in three cities across Florida, Tampa, Orlando, Miami. Then he had one in the Carolinas, I believed, and I launched uh, the first one in New York. And so I used that to start to build my following up here 
And by the second or the third installment, I expanded on that and started doing a summer backyard party in Brooklyn. And that's how I kind of cemented my, my following here. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's a fantastic background because I kind of want to get that context of, you know, why I'm talking to you, um, DJ Brocky. You're both a techie, I understand. You've been in the tech tech stuff. So you're, of course, tracking trends, looking at things um, that affect you in, in your tech industry and what you do, but also um, as a DJ. So let's just jump right, right into it. We're, in, we're weeks in to a global pandemic. In Jamaica, I haven't left my house since March 15th. Right. Thankfully, there's robust internet, and I can have my all my groceries, fruits, food, um, everything delivered to me. Right. As an extrovert, that's not a great, that's not necessarily a fantastic thing, but I'm working with it. But we're in the middle of this pandemic, and it has definitely affected the music and entertainment industries. From where you sit in New York, from your connection to the Caribbean, from what you're doing online. What have you been seeing? What have you been hearing in terms of the, the, the you know, the negative effects um, that you know COVID nineteen has, you know, re, you know, basically had on the music and entertainment industries? You know, the most obvious one is the fact that there's an immediate loss of revenue from all the cancellations, right? And of course, nobody knows that firsthand better than my brother, who is a touring musician. You know, my brother, um, Dene Greaves, wow. he plays for the likes of Conscience and Dexter Dups and Alkaline, used to tour Mavado and Killa and Jimmy Cliff, you name it. Wow. So okay. when this happened, basically his major source of income dried up. Yeah. Now, fortunately for him, you know, he also did other things like he plays for churches, he does corporate functions, but again, that's still event-based that's still experiential and everything experiential dried up and it didn't just affect entertainment i mean there are different forms of entertainment there's music there's movies but there's also sports right right so all the experiential stuff dried up and basically everything came to a screeching halt and immediately people had to start to figure out okay it's a different world now we don't know how long this is going to last but we got to figure something out because we still got to put food on the table. Right. Um, and so there's been a lot of pivoting, a lot of innovation that's happened since then. We've seen a lot of desperation and we've seen some winners already that are good um, indicators of what the future might look like. I think for right now, we're trying to figure out how to take everything that was um, in real life and bring that to a virtual setting. But I think the future is going to be a hybrid of both where we're not going to just depend on physically being somewhere anymore. We're also going to find ways to make virtual experiences engaging and fun and fulfilling for an audience. Right. Without question. I mean, and how has it affected you personally? Clearly, um, you're, you're in, per, in real life, your IRL you know, gigs are dead as knit right now that's true but you know i think the advantage i have is you know i'm a techie you know I'm, a, I'm an engineer i'm a vp of engineering for a tech company in new york so my income wasn't necessarily disrupted and frankly this hasn't impacted me negatively uh, but i know lots of djs who it has impacted negatively and i i see them doing you know the live streaming on instagram um, where they put up their Cash App or their Venmo or their Zelle 
and they're collecting tips from their fans. Uh, some mm-hmm. of the ones who had better connections pre-COVID are leveraging those connections and doing things with like brand partnerships where, you know, the brand gives them some money and they use their following to, to basically, you know, give the brand more visibility. I've seen some DJs do Zoom parties, like someone's having a birthday. They still want to have a certain vibe. You come on as a DJ, you play for a few hours uh, and you make some money that way. So there are ways to make money. It obviously isn't going to make up for the shortfall that's happened as a result of COVID, but DJs are getting innovative. They're getting creative. And I think uh, an important thing to segue to right now is the fact that the platforms are also responding to what's happened yeah, and giving the DJs better tools for, for making money. But, you know, going back to how it's affected me, I think it's actually affected me positively because it's allowed me to do more of the experimentation that you can't really do in a live setting. When you're playing a party, if it's not your event, you're kind of constrained to what the event uh, coordinator or promoter wants of you as a DJ. Uh, If you're in a club where it might like the playlist might be a little bit more strict um, or you may have to entertain the high rollers and, you know, the, the VIP folks who are paying for the big tables, but, when you're at home DJing for an audience, you have full creative control and you could do whatever you want to do. And I think that works out really well for someone like me who likes to experiment and doesn't like to be put in a box because I can play whatever music I want. And I know that I'm catering to a niche and I know that that niche could be big enough for me to sustain myself and feel fulfilled doing what I do. Uh, well, that's but, that's good. That's really great to hear. I mean, as 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 we all know, that one should never waste a good crisis. And absolutely. I mean, as, <laughs> you know, as we've been talking about the pivots that we've been seeing from musicians, from artists, from event DJs, um, and even from event um, you know organizers as well. I mean, what have you seen? So from from DJs, you know, the the most obvious example is DJ D-Nice. I think he was the first person to really hop on it. But I think what's great about what he did is it was more organic and it was more to fill a void for him and not necessarily intentionally to make money money from day one. Now he's doing it. But that's why a lot of people say, you know, follow your passion and, and do the thing you love and eventually you can find ways to monetize it. That's exactly what happened in, in his case. And many other DJs have followed suit since. So he's a perfect example of taking advantage of the technology, streaming live on Instagram. He went from maybe, I don't remember what his following was pre-COVID, but I imagine... It was 300 300 and something thousand people. And now he's north of 2 million. That is correct. In a matter of weeks. Right. And and as you talk about DJ D-Nice, what I also um, noticed as well is that you have to look at his background. Uh, you know, you alluded to it earlier that he was a private event DJ. Mm-hmm. And he was a private event DJ that has played at the White House twice, that has played for, you know, um, the who's who in, in certain circles in America. So he had the clout, he had the influence, um, he had those connections. But, you know, he, as he said, his first, um, you know, live stream party he was just doing for friends had 200 and something people but then sort of a peaked when you know he he was getting he was he kept doing it and then all of a sudden 
he said, oh, let, me in, let me invite the people who are in my Rolodex. And then Oprah pops on, Michelle Obama pops on. And right. it just kind of like, pow, that's when it sort of reached that, that, that crescendo. Um, and then everybody's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> who else have you seen? He's definitely the, the, the pioneer, but others have yeah. popped on. We've seen the Jazzy Jeffs. We've seen the DJ Scratch. Yes. Uh, we've seen folks like DJ Envy try to raise money for other DJs, which is great. Right. Um, but beyond, beyond them, you know, artists are also having to pivot because lots of artists have teams around them that basically they pay. Yes. So, you know, we could talk about the Erica Badu's. Oh, yeah. Um, we could talk about someone like a, a her, H.E.R., you know, the R&B artist. She right. started this this weekly Instagram show, Girls With Guitars, which is doing really well. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't hear right. about that one. Okay. There's also Swiss Beats and Timbaland who started Versus. You know, the, the clash that, yeah. you know, people yeah. that's highly anticipated that literally broke Instagram when Teddy Riley and Babyface went head to head. Yes, yes, yes. There's also Tory Lanez who's been doing quarantine radio. And what's interesting about Tory Lanez is he's a marketing genius. A lot of people don't understand just how smart this guy is. So he started this quarantine radio thing, um, grew grew a pretty consistent and large audience in doing so, and then at some point announced that he was out of his record deal. He announced that he owns his masters. So basically he owns his music. He has a big enough following and he literally doesn't need the labels anymore. So he has total independence. Wow. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, he recently did, I think last week, he did a concert on YouTube, which he claimed to be, you know, very innovative and whatever, but he wasn't the first to do it. But the point is he's trying out new formats, new virtual formats to engage with his fan base and, and monetize his audience. Yeah, uh, yep, yep. you know, take it back home. There's Ding Dong who is stuck inside quarantining. He did a small video on Instagram talking about him cooking curry chicken and putting, you know, the butter bean in it, which is a lot of people don't make curry chicken with butter bean, but all right, fine. No. Ding Dong. No. Uh, but you know, he's also, I think he has a brand partnership with Grace, if I recall correctly. Okay. Okay. Maybe he does. Don't quote me on that. But, um, he talks about that, and then he recorded this song, Inside, Inside, Inside. You know what I mean? So he's found ways to be creative, yeah. creating a song out of it. And in the song, he mentions that he's in the kitchen cooking and him using Grace products. You cannot tell me that a month or so from now, Grace isn't going to turn that into a commercial. I can see that happening already. Oh, of course. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it could come from just creating the content and mm -hmm. things can happen as a result of that. I even saw that he did a live broadcast, a, a live show. I, I forget who he had partnered with to do that. Um, but that happened recently as well. Taking it back to the U.S., there's a guy, this young artist, Curtis Roach. And he went on TikTok and did a really short video. And all he said was, and I'm bored in my house, in the house board. Bored in the house, I'm in the house board. Board in the house, board in the house, board. And then that became a viral sensation on TikTok. Then Tyga partnered with him and was featured on the song that they released officially. And the song is now on the charts. Wow. So okay, I didn't just, know about that one. just like that, you have people trying different things 
and seeing um, real success in doing so across different platforms, across Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. Yeah, I kind of want to go back to to Erica Badu because I thought um, what she did was, was quite. I, I I saw an article pop up in my, in my feed, and then I went to go have a read of what she. I think it was it was I think by Forbes dot com mm-hmm. um, that, and then I and I actually went and um, listened to the interview that she gave as to why and how she did what she did. So, you know, she said in, in essence that, you know, she got all word of, um, her, you know, tour being canceled from like the 13th or the 15th of March. And so within 10 days, she said, you know, she had set up, you know, baduworldmarket.com, which, which does a lot of the merch and also houses what she created. She created her own live stream. She created, um, she used, um, you know, technology and created her own live stream. She used technology and created her own paywall and launched um, a series of, um, I think it's now three that she's done quarantine concerts from her bedroom with her entire team as well. And she said, you know, she had to do it because um, not only because she needed to, you know, this is how she lives, you know, she this lives and breathes music and she, this is what she loves to do. But she also has an ecosystem, a team of 15 to 25 people who depend on her touring, depend on her to eat and to feed their families. And so she, within 10 days, she had up badoomarketworld.com. She had up her live stream. She had her paywall and did three concerts. And she started out very conservatively. She started charging like $1, you know, and then, then the second one, $2, and the third one, $3. And you know what happened too? With each concert, it got better in terms of production and, and, and everything. And she was like in deep engagement um, with her community. And I found that to be, um, and, I, and, and I found that to be interesting because I think the people who, the, the artists and the brands that are really um, have been, you know, engaging with their community, their, their online communities for a long time, it's easier for them to pivot because they have that connection. They have right. that influence and can move people to what they're doing differently. And to take it home um, to Jamaica, um, Tanya Stevens, you know, leisure Tanya Stevens, um, you know, she's always engaging um, and with being her controversial self, um, especially on, on Instagram. Okay, you know, you know, Tanya, Tanya Mount don't have no filter, right? So, <laughs> but she's brilliant at what she's, she does. She's a fantastic writer and lyricist. So she declared that she was going to put out one new song every day for the month of April. And she did, right? And of course, you know, um, as I was mentioning in a, in, a, in a live webinar that I did a couple of days ago, the, talking about, you know, building relationships and thinking about monetization now and later. Clearly her putting out 30 new songs within a month, you know, within the month of April also introduced her to some new, um, created some new fans. Um, made her current fan base happy, but also made her old um, hits and, and mm-hmm. music mm-hmm. even more relevant. So she's making money now as well as, um, you know, setting up for later as well. And I thought that was quite brilliant um, in terms of, you know, in terms of what she did. And, and I know that um, people like DJ Private Ryan out of Trinidad um, was doing the same thing. He released his quarantine mixtapes and, was doing his live stream um, and, and, and stuff like, like that. And if we get to like radio brands um, like Fame FM, they started doing Fame Frequency 
um, parties. And as you had mentioned before, they went the traditional route where they went to brands. And so they had the product placements and the branding of, of, of the streams uh, with the DJs playing um, and, and, you know, and, stu- and stuff like that. And it's something I think they're doing like on a weekly basis. So it's been interesting to see um, how both, you know, musicians and artists and event DJs. And the um, brands are getting in on it. And the brands are getting in. And one of the big um, pivots that I saw that I thought was brilliant, and, and they did it so quickly too, was there's this um, event brand called Tomorrow Today. And it's just four years old. It's a big music and culture festival that happens every year around this time um, in the grill. And it's typically like a two or three, I think it's like a weekend festival. And of course, with with, with COVID, they had to like, holy crap, what are we going to do? So they decided they're going to put together an 11-day long online music and culture festival. And they made that shit happen, DJ Brookie. Okay, so it's pretty much like spending like a dollar a day over over eleven days, and so you still get your your yoga classes, your your um your music your music stuff, your panels and everything. They they flip that switch real quick, uh, <laughs> and so you know the guy the organizers you know you know here in Jamaica they really flipped tomorrow today into an, a virtual festival and launched a community, right nice, in less nice. than thirty days. I thought that was like, wow. We you know, really have to be, you know. There's yeah. a lot to unpack there. One thing for us to recognize is that we're in the attention economy, right? Yes. Where you're not necessarily going to hit people over the head for a lot of money. What you really yeah. want is their attention because you can do a lot with that. Yeah. So Erica Badu figured out that, yo, I need to get these people attention. Tanya Stevens figured out like, yo, if I get these people attention, things can happen. So it introduced yeah. them to her old catalog while introducing them to new music while growing right. her fan base and engaging her old fans. That's right. That's exactly what Versus did. So now they're talking about the Versus effect where Babyface's following grew, Teddy Riley's following grew, their catalog got streamed like crazy in recent, um, recent weeks which yes, means more yes. money in their pockets because they were able to garner attention. Like they legitimately broke Instagram with over half a million concurrent people watching all Absolutely. at the same time. And you Absolutely. know, that, that festival that you talked about, sure, they might have only charged a dollar per day and they probably could have made $300 per person in person, but you're limited by the amount of physical space you have. When right. you're online, there is no limit. And you That's can attract correct. a million, two million, ten million people. Exactly. And and her thing was that there's there, there's no middleman. And she's very clear and 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 candid about it. She just, she just she doesn't have a break off a slice to any booking agents or any right. um venue person. All of that goes to her and her team. Right. So she so for her, this is her new normal. And I was like, uh oh, ding dong. She's like, you know, signaling like what, what she's probably going to be doing a lot in um in the future. But Which yeah. begs the question, though, what is going to be the role of the middleman moving forward? What's going to be the role of record labels moving forward? And, and booking agents. And booking agents. Yes. And event yeah. producers, when people are figuring out how to do more with less, how to accomplish high-quality events with a much smaller team 
where they don't have to split the pie into as many slices. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you this talk is, about and, um, sorry, you talk about uh, I think it was was it Erica Badu, yes, who gradually improved the quality of her online offering. You know, that's something yes. that you're seeing with DJs where the very first time they streamed on Instagram, they were just using their their phone's uh, microphone. But eventually they started to buy the iRigs and they started to get, you know, the, the different cameras and you see different camera angles and higher sound quality and higher production value over time. Granted, it's difficult depending on where you are physically to get that stuff shipped to you. But some mm. DJs saw it early enough and had the foresight to be like, yo, I need to step this up if I want to attract an audience. So you're going to see a lot more of that happening. And and so what is really what we really um, are seeing here is that you, as you mentioned earlier, you have to recognize that there is an, um, that we're in the attention economy. So your, your role is to maintain that connection um, and that influence um, and that, that, engagement with your online community and if you don't you need to start being you start to develop that absolutely two it sounds as well that you have to really move quickly yes and um and and move strategically you know and you you know in terms of gosh you know how do i and it's not just maybe um thinking about in terms of monetizing immediately but maybe monetizing eventually and it, it sounds as if too that all those DJs that may have just been stuck in term, you know, in 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 in, in physical events, now are forced to learn uh, learn about the new technologies, the new platforms, and what they can actually do for them. You know, and not only and, learn about the new technologies or the new platforms, but learn how to be self sufficient. So in the in the case where mm. they might have been reliant on a promoter, yes, right, yes, or reliant yes. on someone else to give them the check, or they didn't have the corporate sponsorships. Uh, how do they now grow and maintain and engage a legitimate fan base? Some of them just look at the numbers on their social media followings. And, you know, yeah. recently I posted something on on, uh, on my profile where I talked about the network effect versus mm. ownership. Yes. And there are lots of DJs, lots of creatives who are relying on the network effect and not really building ownership and don't have a true connection with their fan base. They yes. don't have a website that they maintain. They don't have an email list that they maintain. They're not doing SMS marketing. They're yes. not doing all of these things that establish stronger connections with individuals, regardless of where they are. So let us say that, you know, they're on Instagram, they're streaming, they get a couple of hits from Instagram saying, yo, you don't own the rights to this song. And they get kicked off Instagram. And before you know it, their account is banned because they try to do that repeatedly because that's the only way that they can engage with their following. Right. A smarter DJ is going to say, oh, snap, you know something? I need to find an alternative. So one, I don't get banned. And two, I can move this following somewhere else in case Instagram isn't working for me anymore. So that's mm -hmm. why you find a lot of DJs now pivoting to using Twitch. Yes. And there's also a new kid on the block who's actually been around for a while, Mixcloud, which is a platform that allows DJs to upload mixes they are actually doing attribution and compensating, um, you know, owners of the music. So the issue that we have with Instagram, with the takedowns and whatnot, isn't a problem on Mixcloud. And now that they do live streaming, it's going to be a great platform 
for DJs, but it means now that they have to start to build a following there. Mm. You know what I mean? Which is more work for them. But the DJs who really understand the power of ownership are going to invest the time and they're going to experiment to understand how can I get these people to be devout followers or fans or whatever you want to call it so that if I move platforms, they're coming with that platform. Yeah. You made some valid points and you, you spoke about, um, you know, the, the platforms that are there because the platforms are definitely responding to the times. And so, as you said, Twitch, you know, which is a known, you know, online gaming platform. And, and you know, now it, I saw, you know, one of my favorite DJs, Black Coffee, doing a live stream there um, a, a few weeks ago. And he had like 80,000 people, um, you know, listening to his, I think it was like a, a two hour set. Um, but, you know, as a DJ, you've been, you know, doing your own live stream and as well. You have your Instagram, you have um, TikTok, you have have Twitch. Um, what would you be doing? What are you doing? And what should should DJs and 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 um, artists and musicians be doing? What platforms should they should they you know really be focusing on, <clears throat> and why? That's a great question. I think it really starts with a platform where you have the biggest following today. So if for you that is Instagram, start there. If for you that is Facebook, start there. If it's Twitter, start there. Twitter has uh, their own live streaming. I think they acquired Periscope some years ago. Facebook has live streaming. Instagram has live streaming. There are also ways in which you can multicast to all of these platforms at the same time to engage your fragmented uh, fan base, right? So you don't want to put all your eggs in the one Instagram basket or the one Facebook basket. You want to reach people wherever they are and however they like to consume content. So for me, the first time I did it, it was literally just because a few friends said, yo, we want you to DJ. And I decided to do it. But I did that. And then the other point I'm going to get to is, you know, you have to do data-driven experimenting, but more on that in a second. So I did that. I got some feedback that people wanted me to do it again. So I did it a second time. And by the third time, I'm like, you know what? There are lots of people who are dealing with the shortcomings of Instagram just because they have no choice. But what would they do if I gave them choice? So by the third time I did it, I introduced Twitch and I didn't force anyone to move. I didn't only stream on Twitch. I I, I, I um, multicasted. So I streamed on both Twitch and Instagram. And every time Instagram would either shut me down or the session would end after an hour, I would tell people, switch to Twitch. And that became a hashtag. You know, so eventually people started to move over and realize how much better the experience is. And as the saying goes, seeing is believing. So I didn't need to do much of the convincing at that point. They experienced it firsthand for themselves. And by the end of that Twitch stream, I had... Um, half of the people who tune in became subscribers to me on Twitch. And I think a 50% subscription rate from people who listen to you just one time is pretty darn good, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. So you have to do some data-driven experimenting. And by data-driven, I mean, it's it could be as simple as using a poll on Instagram or a poll on Facebook to say, what do you want, A or B? And I use mm. those things from time to time to see what people want. I wanted, I wanted to see what frequency they wanted. Did they want me to do this bi-weekly or every week? Uh, I wanted to see, did they want to stick to Instagram or did they prefer the experience on Twitch? You know, so I've run a bunch of those experiments over the past few weeks. And then the other thing I'll say is that 
Instagram is not primarily catering to DJs. It's not primarily catering to live video streaming. It's just one of the features on the platform. Twitch's whole core offering is live streaming, right? Gotcha. So they have certain data-driven features that actually make it easy for you to understand what your audience likes and dislikes. So when I was analyzing the data I got from the first time I used it, I could see what time of day I had my peak audience. I could see what time of day my audience started to taper off. And from that, I realized I needed to adjust the start time of the stream if I wanted to have one higher retention and more attention. Right. Mm. And that would not have happened with Instagram because all Instagram tells you is how many people tuned in at the end of the stream. It doesn't show you the progression over time of the size of the audience that you have. Mm. So the, the, the data-driven aspects of Twitch actually make it, make it better for you to learn about your audience as a DJ. You had mentioned that um, Twitch was a better live stream experience for the consumer versus Instagram. Why is that? So there are a few challenges with Instagram. One is uh, the live streams last for an hour. So every single hour people have to re-log in because the stream basically dies. You have to start live streaming again and all the people who are there have to come back in and that is prohibitive for some folks. They're like, you know what? I can't be bothered with this interruption. I'm out, right? So you're going to lose the casual listener who might not be as committed as someone who's a diehard fan. Right. That's one. Number two is you don't know when, but Instagram may kick you off at uh, their women fancy, and I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe it's algorithmic. So whenever they detect that you're playing a song, um, you know they're going to kick you off, and you're going to have to restart the stream. And the more you do that, is basically the more they're flagging you, and the more they're likely to kill your account or suspend you for a period of time. Mm. So there are multiple things that interrupt the continuity of a stream. And if you as a DJ want to stream for more than an hour, Instagram is just not ideal. What's great about it is to, to, to make a, to draw a physical parallel. It's like going to a downtown area where there are lots of bars and you walk by a bar and you hear the music and it's free to go in and you just pop in, listen. And as soon as you get bored, you're out. That's the yeah. Instagram experience. The Twitch experience is oh, I know this DJ that's playing at this specific location that's in the middle of nowhere, but I'm going to go there because that's what I'm committing to do. So once they make it there, they're going to stick around for a while because it's a more conscious effort on their part rather than them just accidentally fumbling on their Instagram profile, thinking Mm. they're clicking on somebody's story and just end up in a live stream, which is what happens Mm. uh, to maybe a fraction of, of a lot of the people who tune in. Mm, okay. Uh, do you think what things are changing? Because didn't Facebook announce, I believe, um, last week that they, they're actually making it so where you know artists and musicians can charge for their streams? They're trying to bump up their own, um, f- you know, features and and, and right. facilities to 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 um, to enable you know you know from events if you're having classes, conferences, or concerts, whether you're an individual or 
or you're an event brand, you can actually use Facebook Live and all that and also charge um, for it. They have not known. I did see wait. I did see that article. I think it came out last week. I don't yeah. think the feature launched as yet and they didn't give an no. exact timeline. But what they did right. say is they're gonna allow people to charge for entry to a live stream. Now if right. you think of Facebook uh, the Facebook Empire and their business model, it's really advertising, right? And yes. so when you scroll your feed on Instagram, you will see ads between your friends' posts or between the posts for the people you follow. When you scroll through your stories, you will see ads. When you're watching a live screen, you see no ads. So they're not currently monetizing that. So it's a huge expense for them if you think about it. Right? Mm. So they haven't announced anything yet for monetizing live streams on Instagram. But one feature they have, they're currently piloting is you can archive those streams and it gets into IGTV. And currently, IGTV's adoption is really low, and they're trying to bolster that. So you see that artists, not artists, but uh, DJs like Jazzy Jeff, today he DJed during the the midday hour, the lunch hour, and his hour-long stream is currently on his timeline because he has special access to this new feature where he can Mm. archive his live streams as an IGTV um, video. But regular people like me can't do that just yet. I imagine they yeah. may roll that out eventually. But now right. with that, you might see them find a way to monetize those live streams. I don't know if there's going to be a future where they're going to interrupt the live stream to show you ads, but that's not currently what they do. But they're definitely mm. um, piloting the the subscription or the transaction model on Facebook. So that's, that's coming on board, I, I, I want to say, in the next month or so. Because they're trying to move as fast as possible. Twitch already does all of that, though. Like Twitch has both advertising and uh, transaction-based or subscription-based models for for creatives to monetize their content. And of course, it's it's owned by Amazon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's it's going to be an interesting, I guess. Again, another another battle of these digital platforms um, from Twitch to TikTok to Facebook to Instagram to YouTube. You know. YouTube, of course, restream that you can, you know, you, people use to to um, do um, simultaneous, um, you know, live streams across different um, different platforms um, as well. So it's going to be interesting. So really, so musicians, artists, event DJs, event organizers will will have a whole range of choices, um, and so it's a it's, it's really only limited to their their imagination, right? Um, in you know, in terms of how they may conceptualize a particular um, online event, um, you know. But let's look. Even you know, if you have nothing more to add here, let, let's look at what happens. What's what's happening in the event space and what we've you know what we've um, detected recently. So Live Nation is a company that I'm very interested in seeing how they pivot. Now, for, is, that, is, that, is that the one that's partly owned by Jay Z or is owned by Jay Z? He owns he he owns Rock Nation, which I think is a subsidiary oh, of, of Live Nation. Of Live Nation, right, okay. right, right. Uh, but Live Nation is a publicly traded company, so you can go out there and see what their stock price is. And on I think it was February nineteenth of this mm-hmm. year, their stock was at seventy six dollars and eight cents. 
Yes. Fast forward to March 18th when the market crashed and it fell to $29.50. That's a 61% drop, right? Now, granted, in the same way that a rising tide lifts all boats, a dropping tide drops them all as well. So the entire market falling is one factor. But at the same time, Live Nation's whole business model was disrupted by everything that was happening. Uh, So they're basically forced uh, to be innovative, you know, and what they're about to do is have their first post-COVID live concert. I think it's a, I don't know if it was a country or a rock artist, but uh, they're experimenting with this idea of, you know, limiting the available seats, which instantly reduces the venue capacity. I think this venue they're going to be using, it's going to drop the capacity by 20%. Now, the first question I had for myself was, why 20%? And why isn't it more on the order of 50 or 60%? Because I, was imagine, mm. I would imagine that with uh, social distancing, trying to keep people six feet apart, then you're going to reduce the amount of the, the, the number of people that you can accommodate. Right. But, I think it's actually, I, I think it's actually, um, I think I browse the Atlas as well. I think it's actually yeah. only 20, 20% of 20%, what they're usually yeah. having. Right, right. But what they're going to do is use fan pods. So I imagine how this might work is, you know, you and your family are going to this concert together and they have some way of identifying that. Y'all could obviously sit closer than people you don't know. Um, so the spacing is going to be interesting where they have these fan pods. So I imagine where families or groups of friends could sit in closer proximity than is recommended for social distancing. Uh, but I'm curious to see how that plays out, but I imagine they're going to have other innovative ways of, of getting people back into concert and event spaces. And I imagine they're also going to do a hybrid of that along with some virtual experiences as well. So I'm bullish on them rebounding long-term, but for right Mm. now, you can see what the impact uh, has had on their stock price. And, you know, there are folks like Mark Cuban, who is also bullish on it because he recently invested in them as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, because without question, as as we've been seeing um, from the large event brands like Facebook and Google and, and, and Coachella and those others, and of course, Reggae Sumfest, everybody has rescheduled their, their annual um, big events that attract 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people to summer 2021. Right. So we have another year, um, if not longer, depending on how things flow with, with um, you know, the, how this pandemic pandemic flows you know are there second waves or third waves of infections and how that actually affects people's psyche and people's desire to go out um and and experience um these things you know so it's 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 going to be it's going to be a a rough time for those who um who do not know how to innovate but there's still going to be a lot of how should i put it um Dead brands, <laughs> yes, and um, you know, you know, who are probably either already dead. Um, this is going to definitely separate the wheat from the chaff because you know anybody, any musician, artist, event DJs, event brands that were mediocre and were one-dimensional in how um, they, you know, their their revenue streams are definitely feeling it, Absolutely. and will continue to feel it unless they really like the phoenix rise from the ashes. 
you know. And as the saying goes, cream rises. You know, cream so. <laughs> rises to the top. So, what are what to what are your own predictions for the music and entertainment industry? Um, say for the next year, um, you know, to eighteen months. It's obviously going to be a heavy pivot pivot to virtual events. It's already happening. It's going to continue right. to happen. There's going to be more of it because while people miss being outside um, and while people are doing the right thing, which is staying at home, social distancing, so on and so forth, people are still going to need to be entertained. People are still going to need an escape from reality. And, you know, these are the times when content shines most. Yes. You know, so for the companies like Netflix, who fortunately had, you know, releases in their coffers that they're now slowly getting out there, like Michelle Obama's uh, documentary just came out and people are going crazy for that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, content is still king. Content is going to win. And however you can bring content to people in engaging, entertaining ways, you will benefit, you will profit. So I expect a a, a continued surge in virtual events because remember, they're going to be in any adoption curve. They're like the innovators and then they're the early adopters and those sets of people find each other. So you could consider D-Nice as an innovator and you could consider the early people who tuned in as your early adopters. But they're going to be the laggards, the people who two months from now, they're just catching on to what's going on, right? Because somebody else has to pave a way for them and give them a blueprint that they can copy. But I don't think it's anywhere near saturation yet. Uh, I think that people are going to be, you know, stuck at home. They're going to look out their windows and see, oh, my gosh, it's summer. The weather is good and I can't even be outside. I need something to take my mind off this reality. They're going to want entertainment. So there are going to be lots of opportunities still. Uh, for virtual events to to garner attention in this attention-based economy and for those creators or creatives to monetize that audience. And you're going to see brands who have significantly slashed their advertising spend in recent weeks start to find creative ways uh, to engage with audiences again and uh, start to spend money again. So... I think the virtual events are going to do really well. But I also think that as we go back to being out in the world, you know, the later phase is how do we mix the virtual with the physical? And we're going to see hybrid events like we've never seen before. Now, granted, the big festivals already stream their events online. Right. And and they might have been doing that for a while, but I think we're going to see even more of that moving forward. We're probably going to see... Um, some more of what happened. I forget what it was. It might have been Coachella where there was the the hologram. <laughs> um, oh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. We, we might see some of that. We might see some um, some augmented reality type stuff, some virtual reality type stuff. Right. And right. I think this is actually going to give rise to those technologies that have been on the cusp of becoming mainstream but needed an event to really um, be the catalyst for mainstream adoption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as we, and as we wrap up here, DJ Brookie, what was the, what's the number one thing you would say to any musician, artist, event DJ right now? What's the number one piece of advice you'd give to them? Experiment. 
experiment, take a data-driven approach so that you can actually get the evidence to know what works and what doesn't, and focus on ownership. Because if Instagram kicks you off, you don't want to be in a situation where you can't engage with that fan base you spent time and effort building. So focus on ownership, which means owning your own website, doing your own email marketing, doing your own SMS-based marketing. It might cost you a little bit of money, but it'll be worth it in the long run. Also, um, focus okay. on things like merch. You know, there are people who are bought into you as a brand, as a persona. Are mm. there other ways that you can give them an opportunity to experience a bit of you since they can't physically see you anymore? Do they want a T-shirt? Do they want a mask with your logo on it since everybody is going to be wearing masks? So you're going to want to consider other ways of generating income for yourself. Okay. And what would be the number one advice you'd give to an event organizer, an event producer at this time? Figure out virtual events. <laughs> figure, out, figure out how to make it happen virtually because that's not going to go away. I think it's going to be a while before we return to large numbers of people in physical spaces. I think that's like phase four of going back mm -hmm. to normalcy. Uh, so they're going to have to figure out virtual events. They're going to have to um, build trust with their audience again because people don't quite trust going outside like they did two months ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep, yep. Uh, so they're just going to have to figure out virtual events. And last but definitely by no means least, what was the number one advice you would you would give to event sponsors or brands who are normally operating in the music and um, entertainment industry in the region? Event sponsors are going to have to find some new faces to partner with because <clears throat> the people who are most popular in physical spaces may not attract the same... <clears throat> Sorry, my throat getting dry. Um, may not attract the same online audience. Right. So they're going to have to find, <clears throat> sorry, new folks to partner with who attract the audience that they're trying to get the attention of or they're trying to get the purchasing power from. And, you know, we see that happening where a few weeks ago, D-Nice didn't have the same partnerships as he does today. Yep. You know, he's doing things with Michelle Obama, trying to get people to vote. He's doing the graduation party now. So uh, I think new winners will emerge and brands just need to pay attention to see who the winners are going to be and partner with them early enough uh, so they could get, you know, a, 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 they could have more leverage, so to speak. Beautiful. And with that, I just want to say thank you so much, DJ Brookie, a.k.a. Eval Greaves, the techie <laughs> and the event DJ. <laughs> Still can't get over that 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 um that story of of why we, we call you DJ Bucky. <laughs> I've told that story but, so many times over the years, but definitely thanks for having me. You know, I it's and, and it's where, two where industries people, that I love. You? Where can um, people reach you and experience you? Where are you online? You can find me. I don't really use Facebook anymore uh, for reasons I won't get into, but uh, I'm easy to find on Instagram at DJ Bucky. Uh, you can find me. Uh, via email, djbrucky at gmail.com. If you Google, you'll probably find me uh, by that name. Uh, professionally, in terms of tech, you could find me on LinkedIn, Evel Greaves. Uh, there you'll see my exploits in the tech industry. 
but yeah, the most uh, engaging platform for me right now is Instagram. It used to be Twitter. I'm still on there, just not as active as I used to be. But yeah, find me at DJ Brucky everywhere. DJ B R U C K I. Beautiful. And with that, thank you so much, um, DJ Brookie, for joining me on this episode and talking about the state of music and entertainment. Um, We know what's happening now, what's going to happen next, both, you know, relevant in terms of the Caribbean and also um, happening globally. And of course, everything happening online. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this. Another episode of the Silicon Caribbean podcast where of course as usual we talk about digital trends that are of course affecting the future of caribbean business and caribbean industry i'm always talking to caribbean people wherever they are in the world that i find online and out there in the wild who are using technology and very innovative thinking to launch all kinds of digital businesses so thank you so much thanks for having me thank you and if, if you found some value in this episode on whatever platform that you're listening on. We're on nine um, um, podcast platforms. Do leave a comment, give us a five-star rating, subscribe so you can get notified as to when a fresh episode is out. Thank you so much. I'm your host, Ingrid Riley. Stay safe and stay healthy.